Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I'm excited uh, to introduce to you Paul Randek, who I work with, a colleague yes. at Wasatch Recovery. He's one of the lead therapists here. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of background on him. He's written a book called uh, uh, Recovering the Seed. Recovering the Seed. Yeah. 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 Awesome uh, book. That came out this year. Yeah. 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 Pull that just a okay. little closer to you. Yeah. Just so we make sure. Perfect. There yeah. we go. Um, you also do a podcast yourself I called do. Another Bozo. Just on the, another Bozo. Just another <laughs> Bozo. I guess it's another Bozo on the bus <laughs> podcast, but it's just another Bozo, meaning yes. all the things that kind of we share in common about being human, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I've been on your podcast. You and by the way, thank you for that. That was awesome experience for myself. And uh, I got a lot of good feedback on that. It's you know? been listened to quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. so I feel very fortunate uh and so I'm grateful to have you on. We've been trying to do this for a while I know, now. I know. <laughs> that, that There's seems one per- to be the story, right? Yeah. I th- you know, I'm busy. I'm a busy man, but I think you're busier. You're, I don't know. <laughs> I think we're pretty close. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're, it's the hours, probably. They're probably the pretty hours. close. Yeah. yeah, Paul works very, very hard. He, uh, Like I said, he's a therapist here at Wasatch Recovery. We're, we're actually here live right now at Wasatch Recovery. And uh, I know you, see, you know, he obviously works here, but he also has your, you do outside clients as well. I have a small private practice yeah. as well, where I see clients, couples, and families. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Off and on for, you know, I'd say five, six years. Yeah. Actually, maybe a little longer, maybe seven. Yeah. But it's been a while. Been yeah. a while. Yeah, and I've been yeah. in the same place the whole time yeah. over there at... at uh, um, I was going to say Recovery Bridge, but yeah. that's the old place, yeah. but it's Lighthouse. Lighthouse, yeah, right. yes. That's a really cool place, by the way. That's yeah. where you did your podcast and yeah. uh, where we where we met there, and that's a really cool place, and it's a great place for people to to get help and to hang out and you know help, yeah. help support each other. It is. Yeah. It is a good place. They've got, they've got a number of meetings in the evenings, um, men's groups. They have an aftercare program. They've got a couple refuge recovery meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, you know, um, so Paul and I, have, I've known you now probably going on four years, yeah, just I would about. imagine. Yeah. yeah, close to four years. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, here in a couple months, I've yeah. been here four years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> we've rubbed shoulders for that long, and it's been great to know you, and uh, you do an amazing job and amazing work with uh, with the clients here, and and uh, I want people to get to know you, so sure. th- thanks for being on my no, uh, Bleedcast. I appreciate it. I, I, I'm really grateful to be here too, Todd, and... Yeah, working here at Wasatch has been an amazing experience, um, and I'm really grateful for the the opportunity I've, ha- I've had here. As you know, I came on to to build the IOP program which, right. and the day treatment program, and then I was given an opportunity to, to start this other program that we're working with the hospitals to, you know, facilitate and assess for d- detox clients, That's which right. is really pretty exciting. Yeah. In fact, I'm after I'm done here today, I'm going out there to to visit a client. So right on. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah, you've done quite a bit here in the in the in the four years you've been here, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's do this. Let's start with you know maybe give our listeners a little background on you, like sure. where you grew up, and a little bit yeah. about uh, that. Um, I I uh, I'm I'm a guy. I'm a, I guess a man from the Northeast. I grew up uh, in Connecticut, okay. um, on the coastline, just outside New York City, in a, a little town. I say a little town, but. It was, uh, I guess it wasn't that little, but it was a small town. It had a small town feel. Had a, you know, it was called Old Greenwich. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, it was a, a suburb community for a, a lot of people that worked in the city. 
Um, and uh, I, I was the youngest of five kids. Um, one of the things that probably is the most impactful in my life was my father died when I was three years old. Okay. And, and so I didn't really have a relationship with him. And when I look back at, at my youth and, and, and sort of some of the things that um, had, had maybe a deep impact on the way I thought about life and, and sort of some of the choices I was making and trust issues that I had um, probably started there, even even right. though I didn't understand it yet at the time, sure, you know, yeah. the impact of those things. I can kind of trace it back as I got older and kind of went, you know, I can see how these things um, had an impact on who I was and what I believed about myself, especially belief systems, because even from a very young age, um, I believe that I knew what was right or authentic for me right? I, at okay. a very young age. And I, I'm talking five or six that I had a sense of, of truth, at least for me, yeah. or what I thought was truth. And of course, this does come back to belief systems. Sure, sure. Yeah. So did your mom end up remarrying or? Not till later. No, okay. no um, being the youngest, and there was a, quite a, an age range between myself and my siblings. My, um, the oldest is my sister, Susan. And uh, she's, I think, gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get flack for this probably. I think she's gonna be 80 <laughs> this year. Um, really? Yeah, she's 20 years, 18 years older than I am. Okay. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm 62, as you, you, you know. But people always go, "You're really, you're 62," and I go, "Yeah, yeah I'm just well preserved." Well, yeah, well, yeah, and that's true. I, I'm actually surprised. I had no idea you were that old. Huh. And you do not look that old at all. Mm. I mean, you really don't. Well, thanks. I yeah. appreciate it. I mean, so. <laughs> You're very kind. You've been blessed with good genes, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, and I, I also, um, I think one of the things in my life about growing up in Connecticut, too, was, and we grew up right on, I grew up right on the water. Um, I had, okay. I don't know, just loved nature. Um, I can remember as a kid, I felt, in fact, I felt so connected through nature. I remember, this sounds funny even when I say it now, but I can remember as a kid climbing up into these big pine trees in our yard uh -huh. and just sitting there. Right. You know, for like an hour or two, you know, in the afternoon or something, just enjoying, kind of look as I could see that water from where we lived. I mean, that, okay. we're that close, so yeah. 100 yards away. And um, just remember listening to the, like listening to nature, the sounds, the animals, all those kinds of things had a real impact. And the same thing with with uh, the beach right. and water. I grew up swimming in the well. It's the Long Island Sound, which connects to the Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. Right but yeah, um, very cool. I had a real strong connection with the water too. Yeah. Yeah. I used That's to. Cool. I used to think I was a fish at some. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how many? So how many siblings do you have? Altogether five. Okay. Um, my. Sister, uh, who was closest to me in age, Anne, she died when she was 33 um, of a, a stroke. Okay. Uh, my father died of an aneurysm. And so that those kind of things run in my family. And as you know, a few months ago, I had a heart attack. So yes. I kind of like, uh, oh, well, which do doesn't run in my family, strangely yeah, which enough. is interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's all, I got that. I did that all by myself. <laughs> you did good, good for you. How, did, how's that going right now? Is everything okay? And yeah, yeah, it is. It's going well, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting cutting out of my medications, though, here in the next month or two. Sure, so. sure. That's yeah. probably been the biggest adjustment is the type of medications I've had to take. But it's, it's going well. Yeah. Um, I did have um, one sibling, my the middle son, um, uh, my brother Todd, who um, had some struggles when he was a teenager, he he was probably 
12, I think, or 13 when I was born. Um, and uh, wasn't really what I, guess I call one of the nicest men in the world. Okay. Um, he took out a lot of his frustrations, his anger, and those kinds of things on me. Okay. Um, and so yeah. I learned at a very young age not to really trust men. But I, I don't really remember a lot of it. I remember the emotional Right. Things uh, the uh, the shame based emotional belief systems that were portrayed. so he kind of just like was like a bully to you. He was a bully. He was yeah. he was my I would say if you would and I know this this terminology yes so yes. he would be that I think that first experience of what a bully is yeah in my right. life and um and I had I had a I had a strong victim stance and a strong victim story about that which I got a lot of use out of yeah. in my life you know the. You know, that the reason I am the way I am is because of growing up without a father and having an abusive brother and yeah. um, and those kinds of things. So I, I, when I look back at my victim narrative, I, I really I take it back to that the early stages okay. where I, I began to like the sense of loss and abandonment from my father, which was a, a way of, um, you know, avoiding grief, especially, sure. yeah. um, or dealing with that loss of not having that. And then having an older male figure in my life that was physically and emotionally abusive sure so, yeah um i i i look back and today i'm <laughs> i know this sounds strange but i'm really grateful actually for all of that i experienced because it taught me a lot about myself and it taught yeah. me about belief systems yeah, yeah. um but anyway I, I'll, I'll kind of get come back around to that and, okay. and sort of the transformation because um even though i knew it wasn't right I hadn't quite figured out that life wasn't fair yet, that <laughs> right. I had this real strong sense of social justice in Northeastern United <laughs> States. I, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of a liberal bastion in, in certain places, um, sure. even though Connecticut is uh, kind of think, thought of a, as a, well, I don't, this term isn't used as much, but kind of a waspy state, okay. um, you know, strong white Anglo-Saxon right. Protestant background. Okay. Um, but one of the things that uh, that stuck, stood out, I think, stood out or stuck out for me was this sense of that anything really was possible. I always remember hearing that and feeling that sense right. from my um, the uh, my sisters. That, in fact, when I look back at my childhood, I I, I really believed that women. I know this sounds terrible. So I'm, I'm sorry. That women ran the world. <laughs> That I thought because my mother um, was a sta you know was not a stable mom. She worked, she, worked, she cooked, yeah. she cleaned, she did everything. And then my two sisters helped take care of me as I was growing up. I became, was very close with my sister Anne that died. She was probably one of my my best friends. Okay. Um, and I just saw that 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 you know that I, I thought that everything was kind of run by women until I got older and I was kind of you know then I started seeing. And I, and I had no healthy relationships with men, right. so um, I really questioned what men's motives were. And I realized okay. this went through most of my adult life, Yeah, having that. Uh, well, did you have other friends that you hung out with when you were younger that obviously had maybe fathers at home? Mm -hmm. And did you, were you always maybe comparing at all? Were you like going, man, why wish I had a dad or, you know, like like so-and-so? No, I, th I think... Um, I, th I think the way I, I had somehow wired it, I wondered about that, by the way, as I got older. I go, why didn't yeah. I think that way? Yeah. And it was more like um, that because of the, probably the abuse that I, I thought, 
you know, and, and not having a father and not having a protector that don't trust men anyway. So I just had this, this sort of like imprint, this filter right. that went over whenever I saw men was one to pull back and not trust them. Um, this changed as I got older. I, I did have some strong male mentors and learned and learned to trust. Okay. Yeah. And then I developed, and this is later in my teens and early 20s, sure. I started to develop relationships, okay. um, trusting, intimate, um, vulnerable relationships with men. Um, and as I say that, um, uh, probably one of the, the closest people I've had in my life in the last 25 years, um, I'm still, you know, is still one of my best friends who's Brent okay. Heiner who runs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Brett, Brett and I, uh, yeah, Brett's a good dude. Yeah, we met at, um, we met at recovery bridge. We, okay. I did my internship there back in 2099 for my Sudsy, which was an LSAC back then. Okay. Um, and, uh, he was actually working there as a, as a, as a counselor. At the oh, time. okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, cool. and I had a, well, I did have one brother, by the way, that was actually very practical, very kind, nice man. Um, a bit of an enabler. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that because the story I, I, I had was, uh, when I started getting to drugs, um, well, 13, 14, I think was when I started, um, somewhere in there. And, um, Though I thought it was cool at the time because my older sister t- turned me on to them. I was going to ask, how did that yeah. start? Was it <laughs> yes. from your sister? Yeah, actually? yeah. I mean, I had I had friends that that smoked a little pot or drank a little bit here and right. there, but um, that really wasn't my really wasn't my thing. And I didn't figure that out till I was later in the teens. What what kind of stood what stood out to me? Um, but she introduced me to um, hash and prominently LSD, um, okay. which was one of the things that at that point I thought was revolutionary as far as changing my life. Um, how, I, old, how old was your sister at the time? You were 13 or 14? She would have been, uh, I think she was six, seven years, let's see, six, so tw- seven years older than I am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, that, that big of a gap, you would think that, you, had, you know, you wouldn't give your little brother... LSD. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, this was the 60s. <laughs> right. No, I understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. uh, that's what a young age to be introduced to, the, you know, something something so intense yeah. as that. Well, and, and she had a, a she, she was living with this uh, kind of like a, a community. Um, and I, they think they call them now intentional communities. <laughs> Back then they kind of call them communes, but right. she was living with a group of people. Um, okay. And, and so they had a, a real ritual a, a, associated with it. So I looked at it as something very sacred. I was taught that, you know, you're going you're gonna to take this, you're going you're gonna to meditate beforehand, you're going to go out in the woods. Oh, so it's more of a... You're going to go out for six hours, okay. you're going to, you know, and then we're going to meet back here and have a campfire and, and we're going to talk about our experiences and, and check in and those kinds of things. So there was all these rituals around it. I wasn't, okay. it wasn't go to a party and, and get okay. and get messed up. So it was more of the ritual part yeah, of it. Gotcha. That's how it started. 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 That's how it sure. started. Okay. Um, it didn't stay that way, and this is not an uncommon story, as, right. as we know. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, but yeah. that was a few years until um, uh, I, I, I realized that I was continuing to do 
uh, more and more um, disruptive behavior in my life, and I was feeling emotionally more and more distraught or distance. I, I had, I did have a, a pretty broad um, friend base. I was, I also was in, interested in music, so I had people I played music with and bands I played in, and yeah. um, I started dating 15, 16, and and it seemed to have kind of a normal life, but. Um, the, I also thought what was normal were drugs and alcohol at the time, and they just right. seemed like part of it. So by, by the time I think I was 17, 16, 17, I did do cocaine for the first time. Okay. And that was when the bells and lights and switches went off. Right. And I said, <laughs> I mean, I remember that first, first experience was, this is really good. Yeah, and I didn't really have that experience before. I didn't have anything that said, you know, or nothing spoke to me in this kind of way. But this just clicked, and I went, I, I like this. This feels good. I feel like I can do anything. Right. Um, and I especially don't have to deal with sort of the craziness and the turmoil that was going around. By this time, by the way, I was just living. My mom and I were living um, alone in in Essex, Connecticut. In fact, my last year when I turned seventeen, she moved back to Old Greenwich, and I stayed in, in Essex. Oh, really? And okay. uh, I was on my own. Now, I, I should say she did, she would send me a couple hundred bucks a month to, you right. know, for food and, and things like that. This is at 17, you yeah, said? Yeah, at 17, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I looked back at it and thought, you know, she raised five, five kids for, you know, whatever, 30-something years, you know, that it was... She was burned out. Yeah, she was a little burned out, you know. <laughs> I say that now, and I've been raising, raising kids for 38 years, and I'm definitely burned out. On, <laughs> but I yeah. still love, love, love all well, my how, kids. Well, let's talk about real quick. Um, I want to get to where this led to, but let's go back a little bit. What was How was your relationship with your mom? My mom was... Um, was actually really good. My mom was a, a listener, a really good listener. She taught me some of the most some of the values that I have today that are, right. are so strong. She um, she had a bit of a de- dependency issue, I think, um, and I would say codependency, but a lot of people don't like that word. But there definitely, <laughs> I, I felt enmeshed with her, and and probably being the youngest of five and not having a father, she really felt. I mean, like so I think uh, some of my other siblings did that I needed to be protected, which yeah. probably also was not. My brother didn't like all the attention I got after my God. father died, and he, and oh, he was okay. getting less. You know, sure, sure. Um, but she, I mean, felt like the person that was the, the most stable thing in my life. I mean, she, she felt like I, I could always count on her, that I knew that um, I had someone in my corner at all times. Right, right. And she also taught me um, very young things like how to, how to take care of myself. She told me how to cook and clean. And um, I, w- I would say I, I learned to be a pretty good domestic. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I learned that you can, you can work and you can be, you know, you can t- take care of everything, that you, you, can, right. you can cook for yourself. And yeah. um, like my, uh, I, I joke with my, um, one of my sons now, one of my second to my youngest, Matthew, because we taught him how to cook at a very young age, and it's changed his life. He just loves cooking now, and he cooks for his friends a couple times a week. Yeah. And he moved out last year, by the way. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So one more. One more. <laughs> one more. Anyway. One more, Paul. So You're my mom there. was was a very <laughs> strong influence in my life. She did remarry okay. um, a couple times um, when we were living in Essex, and they those relationships lasted a little, about a year or so. Okay. And she told me before she died um, about 20 years ago that 
um, she divorced and, and, and after the second marriage, after the second one or the, the second time she had remarried, she said, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's just too hard right. being married because you don't like these men. So she she kind of said that I made the choice based on you, and I kind of thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know. So you you were obviously showing by the, your actions my resistance you, to yeah, you trusting men. Same yeah, thing. Yeah. I didn't trust these yeah, men. Who's this guy? They were. I was. Yeah. Not, I I didn't understand why I was so scared of them. I mean, I hadn't. I, I didn't think about it. You know, logically in the mind of a uh, of an eight or nine year old. Right. You know, right. That that that. That that I mean that was the first marriage I remember. I was probably eight or nine when she got remarried the first okay. time. The second time was thirteen or fourteen or something like that. Um, but the first one I didn't understand why I had all these feelings about about him, you know. Yeah. And of course, you know, you're uh, that's my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand that 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 scenario too. Which, sure, sure. Yeah, which means that. Uh, you know, that's my mom. I'm, she's supposed to be taking care of me, right. you know, and all that. And that's how I grew up in that. And okay. so I was selfish. I mean, I look back on it, and she was right. I was selfish. Um, I, I mean, I understand why, but yeah. I, I was probably not the, the nicest young man, yeah. partly due to some traumatization well, you, well, by uh, been male through figures. A bunch. Yeah, yeah, male figures, yeah. you know, being bullied by your brother and losing your dad at such a young age. That would. Yeah. I mean, that would. You know, as an adult mind, you're thinking, well, yeah, I was selfish, and <laughs> But when you're going through it as a kid, man, you don't think of it that way. Yeah, no, I def- definitely didn't until until many years later. Right. But when she told me that, it, it uh, you know, this is 20 years ago. It did. It took me back, and I went, "Yeah, that doesn't feel good." But you're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are right. And yeah. um, of course, by that time, I had uh, I was uh, I was not using any drugs at that point, or at least I, my relationship with uh, drugs had changed significantly. Um, and I, I began, uh, this is 97 or something, 98, I began my, my path toward, and what I believe is a, a living a life of sobriety, I guess. Right. Um, which wasn't, surprisingly enough, was she was very happy about. Uh, and she, oh, absolutely. So she got to yeah. know me, uh, at work, someone who's, um, I think one of the, one of the things that she had always wished for was that, you know, I would figure my way through this in some yeah. form or another. Right. So, well, let's jump back. So you, you know, you you tried cocaine for the first time, <laughs> and you were like, "Man, this is amazing." Yeah. And it kind of, let's talk about where that led to, and yeah, um, and it it didn't it didn't I didn't take off right away. Um, I I knew it that I, I knew the feeling was there and so I, I did it a few times and then um, I, I stopped partly just because of, of money and finances and those kinds of things right um, and uh, and and probably I was also really busy socially and um, and with school and I was also traveling um, I also came out to Utah I mean uh, Idaho the first time around this this period first time out west uh-huh. um, and I started to sort of change some of my priorities um, and I really connected in with some what I, to me was some communities uh, that were yeah. that were healthy uh-huh. and so I, I kind of moved away from that um, I drank a little bit here and there I, that's about all I, I did at that time 
Um, and Why'd you move out here? What, what led my to... My sister had come out here. My okay. aunt, her sister, she had come out. She goes, you got to come out and see Idaho. It's incredible. And so, um, and I'm, you know, growing up in in the Northeast and growing up, especially in Connecticut, where the roads are really narrow, I always joke <laughs> about joke about that. You know, it, the, you could barely get two cars on a lot of the, the, right. the roads. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and to, all of a sudden, moving out west and everything's so much bigger. And right. I fell in love with it. I, I mean, but again, um, mm-hmm. we lived in a little. T- My family had bought a little cabin up in a town called Atlanta, Idaho. And a uh, population about 33. And, um, but they had three bars. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. It yeah. sounds so strange still to say it today. Um, three bars for 33 yeah. people. And That's the, amazing. And in the winter, there was about eight people that lived there because they got snowed in for parts of the winter. And in the winter, they were just all eight people would go from one bar and then they'd close that one down. They'd go to the other one and then they, you know. And they'd go home. Was there even a grocery store, or was it just bars? one of the bars had a grocery store? <laughs> and a, yeah, and a restaurant. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, it wasn't a lot, but it was. It was. It was strange in some ways. It was always a tourist town um, in the summer, and so it, it may get up to on a weekend a hundred people. <laughs> may. Uh, wow. I know. I know. It sounds funny nowadays. Anyway, that's what brought. That's what brought me out west, and I fell in love with it, and. I then came out a few times uh, for the next couple of years. Okay. I actually dropped out of high school at this point. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, dro- I took a year off high school, lived for half of it out in Idaho, and then I went to Europe for six months and then came back and finished school. Oh, wow. Um, well, that's not completely accurate. But anyway, let's just say I dropped out of high school twice. Okay. Um, <laughs> but within it's about a two and a two and a half year period, um, I, I missed almost a year and a half of school. Oh, wow. And then finally went back and completed it all in a semester or two. Um, and uh, that's when my mother had moved, moved away, and I was living alone in, um, in Essex, Connecticut. And I was uh, working as a... Uh, I don't know what it's a nanny or you know a governess or governor or something like that for this family. Okay. So and I was doing that, finishing school and um, and then getting and then getting ready to, to move back out to go go to college. Um, so someone I graduated, I moved back out uh, to Idaho, moved to Boise, did um, school at, at uh, BSU, Boise okay. State University, um, and. Uh, Made it a couple years there too before I moved to moved down here, but that's when I started to get into cocaine. Um, okay. Someone I lived with uh, was using it um, on weekends, and right. uh, uh, living, I was living in a house with a couple other people, and I started using it again. And I, I noticed when I used it, I got to a place that I just couldn't get enough of it, yeah. and I hadn't had that experience before. And I hadn't had with any other substance either. I'd never, I'd never sort of felt this, and mm. and and then I, I kind of was like, well, what is this? And I, I couldn't stop. I mean, I could. I just didn't want to. I just, I was always chasing. But, but in that mode, you yeah. don't think of it that way. You're like, man, I need this. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, probably weekend user, mostly just because of finances and things yeah, like ex- that. It was expensive. Yeah. I, by the way, I worked at a local, um, I worked at the college radio station in those days, and I, okay. I not for this podcast, but I have some stories. <laughs> <laughs> when bands would come into town, they were first touring. One of them was Van Halen. Really? They, they came to the, uh, they You're came kidding. after the show to 
um, I was on the air, and they came in with um, one of the young women that worked there. Really? Yeah. Yes. Right yeah. on. Yeah. So and, 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 and proceeded to tear apart the place and okay. and drink wildly and do drugs and yes, crazy partying. Yeah, yeah I, I won't to, mention any names. What's yeah? <laughs> what's when you say that Van Halen? I was a huge fan of Van Halen. I went to Van Halen came and played here at the Salt Palace in 1984, and it was the Jump Tour. Uh-huh. And David Lee Roth was so wasted he could he couldn't remember the lyrics. He was up there just slurring, his, and we're just like, "Are you kidding me?" It was <laughs> oh, crazy. No. I mean, it's still a great concert, or whatever. <laughs> but he was, he was, you know, three sheets to the wind. Yeah, yeah. So I can only imagine what you're this describing. This was their first tour, and they were they were green and young and wild and yeah. I mean, it was wild. That's all I can say. It was wild. <laughs> <laughs> right. I did. I didn't have. I I didn't walk away from that night with a positive experience. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, but I did do a bunch of drugs that night. So uh-huh. I mean, yeah. I just didn't. Again, I still even through that. I knew for myself what what authentically I felt or morally was right was right or wrong, and things were happening that I didn't feel were true, and mm-hmm. you know, and I, I felt, you know, and so I, I when I was going, and I could feel I was going against that because, like, I was almost supporting these people and doing something that I knew wasn't a true value for myself, and so right. the way to deal with it was to do more drugs that night and just sort of pretend like these things weren't happening, even though. You know, I knew inside me that something was off. Right. And I, I, that kind of began to happen a lot where I all of a sudden felt like I wasn't honoring what some moral code or belief system I had, or what my truth was. And, um, and I found myself uh, going and using drugs more and more at, at this point. So... Um, I eventually got offered a job here in, in Salt Lake in Utah working for a, a nutraceutical company called um, Paralab. And um, I moved down here to, to do that. Um, this was the, the early beginning of the nutraceutical business here in Utah, which is now <laughs> huge, of course. <laughs> right. You know, everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this was, <clears throat> this was what Nature's Way was just starting, and we were producing all okay. their... Um, their herbal extracts, and uh, I was working with a guy named, who was famous in this community, Dr. Christopher, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that brought me here, and I, I, I did well. I mean, I wasn't, I, at that point, I had stopped. Again, I was in a strong right. community. These are people with similar morals and values, and, and I, I, f- I felt connected to them. And um, there were people from all over the world that were involved in this project. So I felt like culturally I was expanding out as well. That sure. was always important. important. Um, one of the things I had spent when I had spent the six months in Europe, I came back to the United States and I kind of went, I didn't really know what culture shock was. And, but then I came back after living, I lived in France for a month. I lived in Scotland for um, like three weeks and lived in Denmark for a couple of weeks. And we, the, I went with two people and we just would go and, and you know, like rent apartments or things like that, or right. we camp. Oh, okay. um, went to the Gypsy Festival in St. Arles, France, with ten thousand gypsies on the beach. You know, camping out. Uh, it was. I did, I did look back and I go, this was just this was remarkable. And so, but when I came back to the United States, I was like, I came back to my old life. I was like, this this feels really weird now. Who yeah. am I? Yeah. I began to I began to question and judge that. Okay. Um, because I'd seen so much more of the world, and I kind of wondered if uh, I had been living in a bit of a bubble. 
okay. for a while, which was true. I had, yeah, yeah, which is true. I had. Yeah, I felt the and, and when I was here in Utah, um, I felt I, I didn't feel that because I, I was with so many people from so many different cultures and traditions. So again, I felt connected, and I stopped my using just stopped. I didn't. I didn't need it. I didn't have any use for it, and and um, which I always thought was interesting. Yeah. And then, well, this sounds terrible. Um, I got married. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I got married, and uh, my, and um, my first wife, Mary, and I, who really is is an important person in my life today. Um, right. She, uh, we're really close and good friends, and and um, she is uh, a part of our family. Which you know, I, I, I'm grateful. I'm just I'm grateful for. Um, right. But um, that the stress of then working and this is the I started this water business. Um, uh, we went off on our own and and, and started uh, Styles Water, and um, and then having kids and everything. I went back. I went. I I've, I met someone. Um, on a camping trip, and, and they were using, and it, that was off to the races. Right. And that escalated for off and on for about 10 years before I okay. began to really to start to take stock. And I got to the place where, um, you know, even the jobs and everything I was doing, I, I, I was. I was not living the life I wanted wanted to be doing. I, I mean, I, I'm not blaming it on the jobs, but I knew I, I wasn't fo- sort of following what I thought my purpose was. Right. And I and I, you know, I became I got into marketing. I became a s- stockbroker. A lot of people have that stockbroker story, by the way. <laughs> As I yes, find they do. Out. I know. Yeah. I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that was sort of when, for me, uh, you know, I've, I I found myself just you know, using the drugs to escape everything. Yeah. And, and, and I was, it was mainly just cocaine. I, I, sometimes I wouldn't even, I didn't do anything else, just that. Well, did it feel overwhelming to you to be married and having kids now? Because here you were, you were going to all these places all over mm-hmm. the world. And mm-hmm. what was it, a gypsy conference? Uh, no, they called it the Gypsy Festival. I think it Gyp- was in St. Arles, France. It was right on the, right on the beach. And... I mean, they just took over the whole town. It was really remarkable, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a different culture. But yeah. I mean, also, I met some of the most amazing people I'd ever right. met. Um, but here you are doing all that, yeah. and now, so now you're going to tied down. You're you're going to get married. You've got kids. Did that feel overwhelming? Is that it, what it maybe partly? And I was, I felt like I began to want to control things. Okay. And I, 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 when I'm when I'm in that place, I think that, and I've been there since. Um, I stopped using cocaine, and I have some of the same behaviors, but I don't. I just don't have the drug there. But I look back at the behaviors <laughs> and the fear, and yeah. th- those come up. The fear and or insecurity or the frustration and the anger come up, yeah. and um, and things that I noticed back when I was using. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about it just for a minute because that's where those belief systems come in. Right. Let's talk about some of these belief systems you had back then that were, you know, basically kind of held you back. The irrational belief systems that you were struggling with. Well, the the truth is, is most of the things that were unresolved from my childhood, were, which I didn't quite understand at the time, right, um, were starting to come up. Okay, 
And one of the biggest ones was surrounding um, the idea of grief and loss and I, I and abandonment. I did not, I had a, attachment issues um, based, I mean, I can look back now and say, you know, hindsight, right? right. But I can say I had attachment issues, especially um, yeah. towards trusting men. I did, did not want to get close, didn't trust them. Um, that I avoided that pretty much at all costs. Um, and and then I had these grief and loss issues that I just had never had, had dealt with until, you know, I, I ended up going uh, to, to treatment. Oh, okay. um, so, I mean, the when, when I got to a point where, and we, we talk about, you know, how this relates to belief systems, got to the point where I was kind of, I just was lost. I, I was, uh, you know, the person I was, I don't know who, I was just running all the time for myself. Right. And the drugs were a way to do that. So what... What I learned at that point um, was, and the, the help of a, a really good therapist, um, was that I needed to deal with some of these issues that I had never, uh, never addressed. Right. And so um, part of them, they all go back to those shame and fear-based beliefs that something's wrong with me, that yeah. I'm not okay, that I'm not safe, that um, I'm a victim. The victim was such a, a big part of, of my story, and I always looked to project responsibility for what was going on in my life on someone else. And, right. and I, I know I'm not alone. This is, this is a pretty sure. normal thing that, yeah. that people do. And, and we're, we're actually, we're trained and domesticated to do it. You know, <laughs> if you can find someone else to blame responsibility for your oh, thoughts, yeah. behaviors, and, 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 and emotions on more power. To well, you. we always laugh. Uh, we, we talk about it here, you know, all the songs in the eighties, you know, there was all victim songs. Yeah. Poor me. Yeah, poor, <laughs> poor me. You're right, you know? you're right. A lot of that. But in the heartache songs. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, all the romantic heartache songs. Oh, oh dude, gosh, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, we were we were doomed. <laughs> so most of these beliefs, negative beliefs, though, they would be, you know, the, through, the, through the victim stance would get expressed outwardly, were really about myself. Oh, for I mean, sure. I mean, I knew that, that it was, I, I was the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I got real clear on that. Yeah. And so the belief that there was something wrong with me or I was broken or, and, and we, we do talk a lot about this. Um, that was a reality. That's, I believe to be true. Um, and that I, I needed something to, I needed to be fixed in some way right. or another. Yeah. Um, but going through the therapy for the, the next three or four years, I, I realized that that wasn't the case. Okay. And, um, that's when my whole my, my whole sense of what I needed to learn about was one how to be able to process feelings um, and emotions in a healthy way, and I needed to learn to regulate those, not from a stance of of, of denying that they exist, right. and not from a stance of um, using like anger and frustration as a way to deal with you know feelings of, of fear or loss, um, but to be honest with myself and allow myself to go through these things. So um, even though I had some story, the, the, talk about a distorted belief system, I had a story that I didn't have any grief issues around my father, that there was nothing to grieve. That it, In fact, I, ha I had bargained so deeply with this, Todd, that I had told myself, this is the, one of the biggest lies I've, I've told myself, was that it's a good thing my father died. Wow. Literally. Really? Because he was a, he was a, a colonel in, the, in mm -hmm. the Air Force and... CID and 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 we wouldn't have got along that he uh, he you know I was I grew up in the 60s peace love dub dope and we just would have been we we we, we, <laughs> we, 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 we would have butted heads sure and um that story 
was put in place so that I didn't deal with the loss and the abandonment and gotcha. then all the issues with my brother, which I didn't want to deal with yet either. Yeah. So interesting. This this was a life changer. And then right. once I got into that and allowed allowed myself to actually express that loss and to then mm -hmm. work through it and and come to a place that I, loss can is is not a bad thing. I don't have right. to fear loss. Yeah. You know, but growing up and you know that you know sadness or fear sure. um, are a sign of weakness for a lot of people. I mean, that's all distorted and irrational. Right. right. Um, and by the way, all the new research right now that's come out in the last five years is that there is much more of a connection between the heart and the brain than we thought. For sure. I started. I'm a little behind on this, but that. <laughs> Um, having the heart attack opened me up, especially because my, my wife, yeah. Kristen, uh, <laughs> praise her. She, yeah. um, she started reading a lot and then she showed me some of this, these new, this new research and things I did no idea about the heart and that it produces neurotransmitters and, and, yeah. and neuropeptides and that, um, it has some of the same functioning, not uh, emotionally. It's, it's directly associated with, um, the, the midbrain, which, uh, you know, affects our emotions and responds yeah. to them. And, um, in a much deeper level than I understood, I, I thought everything was cognitive. And I remember us talking to Jed and one of our coworkers here a couple last week about this. And he goes, that kind of messes up some of our systems, some of <laughs> and I go, yeah. it does a little bit, but it's not a bad thing that sure. we understand the heart has a much bigger place yeah, in absolutely. the picture. The, co the cognitive piece is important, but the heart is equally as yeah. important. In fact, the, the, the heart has more of an effect on the brain than the brain has on the heart right. in some ways, yeah. except for belief systems. Sure. No doubt. Right. That the belief system, especially if they're negative or self um, or self-loathing in any way, has an effect on the functioning of all of our organs. Right. I mean, you know this. I'm not, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I love that, too, because I think, you know, the heart is when we really, truly feel something mm. like like when you feel love. Yes. Like yes. you feel it. And that's to me, that's the heart. And then that's telling the brain how amazing this experience is. Yeah. And going back, it's so interesting, Paul. And as I'm listening to your story, the moments you had true connection with people uh -huh. where you would feel it in your yeah. heart, in my opinion, yeah. is when you had no need to do drugs. Uh, the moment those connections separated, uh -huh. you know, now you're up in your head, you're getting heady with uh -huh. it. Now you're feeling like, who am I? I'm lost. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? That kind of thing, and you resort yeah. back to that old behavior. Yeah, Isn't that interesting. It, it it is. It's it's it's. So, I mean, it's it. <laughs> my my sister also died. By the way, I mentioned that earlier. You yeah. know, when when she was thirty three, and so I was in my early twenties, and um, and that kind of sent me out a little bit too. You know, well, you were close to her. You mentioned yeah, we that were, you were really, really close. close. To her. In fact, we yeah. kind of moved together. So when I moved yeah. to Salt Lake, she came here. When she moved to Idaho, I moved out. There and I, and I realized what a support system she was, and right. she was really remarkable. I mean, I don't hold anything against her for introducing me to, to drugs. Right. Um, it, it, you know, she what she was doing what she knew and what she had been yeah, trained exactly. or domesticated to do. So right. there was a time when I, I look back, yeah, my sister, you know, that when I wanted to have the victim story there, I could say, yeah, my sister introduced him to me, but she wasn't the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't her fault. The problem was right here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Identified problem. Yes. So um, the but part of this too is you know and 
the subtitle of my book is How to Live a Wholehearted Life, which I want to, you, you were just talking about, you know, my yes. heart was full. I, my, I was living a wholehearted life when I felt connected to these communities and they had purpose in them. And we yes. really felt like we were doing something that benefited people, just like we do here. Yeah. I mean, that's really the experience here at Wasatch is everyone here believes they're making a difference For and sure. they're doing what they can. Where we're still human beings, we're still fallible, we still make, I make mistakes every yeah. day. Right. You and I talk about that. Yeah. You know, that that's just part of being human. But I, if I do make a mistake, I just own up to it and I move on and I don't punish myself or pun, you know, if other people yeah. do, I sometimes still like to point the finger, but it's, 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 it's short lived <laughs> just because I, it's, yeah. you know, it's laughing at someone else's expense once in a while. You sure. Know? And yeah, then uh, it's, but it's short lived because it could easily be me. Right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of shift gears just a little bit. Uh, I mean, you're, you know, you're very successful at what you're doing now. You're really, you know, like I said, you're very busy and, not only here at Wasatch, but you're, you know, you're outside practice mm -hmm. and you've written, you've written a couple books mm -hmm. and, uh, you do your podcast and things like that. Let's talk about your beliefs, a belief you have about yourself now that kind of empowers you. Okay. Let's share with our listeners yeah. what that, what that is now. The, well, actually this whole idea of what is empowering, I find fascinating uh -huh. because again, it, even the idea of what's empowering becomes, can be a form of belief system. So mm -hmm. what empowers me is is understanding, first of all, it, where it begins with, is uh, I want to understand my biases. Um, that to, to know what my biases or my prejudices are, um, and I have them, and, and I, right. I work on them all the time. It's an ongoing process. This idea of being willing to self-examine myself and take accountability for what I think and what I believe right. and what I feel. It, this idea of accountability becomes so important. I also find this idea of acceptance and forgiveness being so important that my belief is that if I'm willing to accept life as it is, if I'm willing to live, uh, do my best to live a wholehearted, honest life, that all the rest of the things don't, don't matter as right. long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing sure. and what I know is true and I live by that. And, and yes, it evolves and it changes. Yeah, and so this idea of of being willing to accept myself and accept every, and that means accept everyone else. I must accept you for who you are, uh -huh. and 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 not again look for and not have my biases come out, which can point out, yeah, but this is a good person, but or that's a good person, or but those kinds of things. Sure. This idea of being willing to be open, even people I disagree with or have completely different philosophies that I right, have. right. You know, this idea of learning to accept people for who they are. Um, and this is what I think also makes a good coach or a good therapist is starting where the person's at, what, not where you want them to be at. Right. So this, this idea, um, of, of accepting who people are and who I am becomes the basis. Now that belief of acceptance is, is, is founded in a couple different things. Um, one is that in this moment, I am exactly the best person I can be. Right. And that, that doesn't change. And that also, too, I, uh, for myself, I know what I need to do to be that person. Mm -hmm. I know what I need to balance and moderate in my life. Right. And that also means that f from, if I'm going to live a wholehearted life, I really need to be a great listener. Yeah. So I need to be able to listen and also know when to right. you know, ask questions, sure. but also know when to listen. Okay. So the belief under, underneath all of that is that today I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. I'm not going to judge myself, though sometimes I do. I 
could have yes. done that differently. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But but also not but but also not uh, apply it as it's it's something that's 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 broken or wrong with me in any way. This idea that learning just to live and love life as it is becomes sort of a, a mantra. Right. You know, and you and I both are kind of early risers. You may be a little earlier than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but your routine is very inspiring. That, 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 you call it the hour of power. Right? Yes. This, uh, yeah. And and I, when I hear people talk about it, you know, when I hear our clients talk mm-hmm. about it, I go, yes, you know, they're, yeah. they're willing to make a commitment to do something yeah. like that. So my ultimate belief system is if I'm willing to make a commitment to something, I will do my very best. And today I am doing my best. Yeah. It may So I told you I have a little 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 food thing going on, right? Sure. So yeah. my best today may be a little different than it was yesterday right. or than it's going to be tomorrow. But you're going to get fight through whatever you might be dealing with in the moment and do your best. Yeah, I, it's not Love changing that. me. It's not changing yeah. what my my core is, what my belief is. Yeah. It's not changing, you know, how important I think it is to 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 live an honest accepting life and to and be willing to show up and, and if I need to forgive someone else or, or forgive myself and 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 learning this aspect by the way forgiveness and acceptance are kind of like two sides of the coin right, right i see exactly. them kind of one leads into the other sure know, accepting people so i had one of the one of the most powerful things that happened to me in my life if you want was this when i when i forgave my brother and it it took sort of going through some of the, the stages of the grief process to get to a place where i put myself in his shoes and right. this is this is what, when you talk about you know core beliefs, right? Right. If I'm going to understand someone, and I know this is not always easy, but to put myself in their shoes and see the world through their eyes. Right. So when I saw, when I did that, what I saw from my brother was that he was a young man who had just lost sort of a stable part of his life. His father was gone. I mean, yes, it was my father too, but I was three and I didn't really know. You were three, yeah. You know, I didn't know. But for him at 15 that was a pillar for him yeah and and he had no counseling no support nothing yep. and um he had no no way and he grew, grew up in you know don't don't let him don't which i think is terrible don't let him see you sweat don't let him see you cry don't yeah. let him see you sad you know pull your boots up by your bootstraps sure and there's some positive pieces in that too but the truth of the matter it doesn't allow people to be humble and vulnerable right. it doesn't always allow that Exactly. So um, I know this is a long way around, but what what I'm getting to is that by putting myself in his shoes and seeing the world through his eyes, he the it wasn't personal what he did. Mm -hmm. And so I think when it comes down to beliefs, understanding that what people do is not about me, it's not personal. That what my brother was going through was for him horrific. It was debilitating emotionally, physically, spiritually in his life. And his, re- his actions or choices that he made were probably safe for him because here I was this, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to tell him no. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that, right. that, he, that could, in his mind could, he could release all this anger, frustration, and sadness on. Even though it was misdirected, right. um, it wasn't personal. It wasn't about me. Right. It was about the pain that he was in. Yeah. And once I did that, oh, I felt like just, it was spontaneous. It was like a moment filled me with love. And I actually, I actually loved him. 
Wow. And I, I don't remember ever having that feeling towards him. But it's because I saw what, you know, possibly may have been going on for him and why he made the choices he did. Yeah. And I realized, oh, my, that wow. victim story. Yeah. You know, that victim story that I'd carried on for so long was complete BS. Yeah. And didn't serve anyone. Didn't yeah. serve him either. Yeah. Well, see, to me, that's empowering what you, yeah. that experience, you know, having that forgiveness and seeing actually, like you said, it's not easy to do, mm. but to actually put yourself in his shoes and go, okay, what was he going through? Yeah. And for you to do that, man, that says a lot about you too, Paul, mm. that you were willing to actually, okay, I want to, I want to move past this. Mm-hmm. I want to get to where I need to be. And so you, by doing sure. that, were able to experience yeah. something pretty empowering. You it know? was very empowering. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about, you know, when we, that's why I love this word empowerment, because it can come from sometimes the strangest places. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's the whole positive affirmational piece, which I love, too. And then there's, other, there's this other part, which has to do with learning to be vulnerable. Yep. And I see vulnerability and, and intimacy as, as a power, of, as yeah. empowerment. Well, and it's freedom, because you, you, you by forgiving your brother was freedom for you. Yes, oh, like totally. that chain was gone. Yeah, for you. And I got to, I got to take accountability yeah. for who I was, and not, and not use someone else to blame yeah. it on. Yeah. This, this idea of accountability is a, that's complete empowerment, right? For sure. Because it allowed me to step into yeah. that. I became yeah. accountable for all the choices I had made in my life, and I would, could not blame any of them on anyone yeah. else. You know, and I love that because, you know, in the studies that I've been doing, and I know you'll agree with this, uh, and you're probably 10 years ahead of me, um, is <laughs> that when we take full responsibility, pain stops. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Because when we keep pointing fingers, yeah, the pain just continues. Yeah. But the moment we take responsibility for our part, mm-hmm. pain stops. Yeah. And that, that's yes. the coolest thing. Yeah. And that's what I'm, exp- yeah. you know, that's what I'm hearing from you. And my and my part in that process is for me to um, is hello everybody. There's a little music there, but we'll let that continue <laughs> okay. to play. The, but the, <laughs> the the pain was you know in the well the power the empowerment part was me taking responsibility for my life and accountability for it and and forgiving him and accepting him for who he yeah. was and not yeah. personalizing it. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that part. Yeah. That was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, there's so much more to your story, and we could probably spend another hour, which we'll probably have to do that again some <laughs> other time. Um, I, uh, I, We talked about maybe giving our listeners a challenge mm-hmm. and uh, wondered, w- wondered if you'd be willing to share a challenge with our listeners, something that they could sure. t- do to improve their lives, maybe something that you do that helps you. Well, this there there are a couple things, um, but I'm gonna I'll trace it back to this idea of being accountable. Okay. Um, because I think the, as long as we approach who we are and what we and how we connect from a place of accountability, it allows us to do almost anything. And mm. and I know you know I'm I, I I'm never gonna be a, a quarterback for for a professional football team. <laughs> you know, in my mind maybe. But I also know that that there's just there's limits about what I'm capable to, to do whether yeah, physically, right. emotionally, those kinds of things. Yeah. Mentally. Um but one thing I know that makes a difference in my life and I would I challenge other people to do. I do this a lot with my clients is the the practice of gratitude. 
Mm. And and love that. And I and what I I think that at the end of the day that it's important to you know whether we make a list um, or you get down on your knees, um, you take a moment uh, to be humble mm. and to be grateful for the things that we have in our life that day. And if it's I mean, I know some people, I have some of my clients write it out. They keep a gratitude notebook by the side of their bed and and they write that in. And I really believe this is one of those things that changes the quality of our our lives. And pretty quickly, because we're looking outside of ourselves in a way Mm -hmm. and acknowledging the things that bring, bring value and quality to our lives. And sometimes it's not the things we expect them to be. Because I think we can find gratitude in sort of mysterious places that we often thought were not healthy or positive. Right. I mean, you know, especially if it's coming from a victim stance. But in, in the sense, the, the story of my brothers, I can say today, I'm grateful for the experience I had yeah. with him. Even though, yes, it, there was a lot of shame and, and, and pain in that. Right. And led to my experience with addiction with substances. And not just substances. I had other addictions, too. Sure. But one of the things that has always brought me out of that and brought me back to my center is this idea of practicing gratitude and being humble. Wow, I love that. Well, there you go, listeners. Um, Gratitude. I really believe gratitude is the most powerful stimulant on the planet. Me too. And uh, so I really, when you're saying that, I couldn't agree more. I'm Mm -hmm. cheering you on on that. So listeners, I'm going to take Paul's challenge and start writing down what you're grateful for. Keep a gratitude journal by your bed and just focus on that on a daily basis. And I think that will really help you in so many ways. And like you said, you'll find it in areas you never dreamed of. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because who would have thought my brother would be someone I'm grateful for today? And I am. I am really grateful for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so if uh, if people want to get to to know you better or reach out to you mm-hmm. and maybe ask you questions or how you know how can they find you? How can they go listen to your podcast? Okay, can you share, uh, my, share my that podcast with us? is on most of the platforms: um, Stitcher, um, Google, um, iTunes, um, just and and I don't know. There there's so many out there, right? But. <laughs> But it's in a, it's in probably a dozen or so, um, and then um, and recoveringtheseed.com uh, okay. is is an easy way to to see. There's also a contact on there, um, email addresses, those kinds of things. It's got a uh, links to um, you know Facebook pages and, awesome. and that kind of stuff. Can as they well. get your book through that website? Yeah, you can get the book through the website. Book? It's on Amazon too. It's on Amazon um, yeah, as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, and and that's available there too. Uh, I'm working um, on a on a third book right now, but I'm not expecting that to come out till sometime next year. Yeah, in your yeah. spare time. When in you... my spare time. Yeah, because I, I yeah. So yeah. you got nothing to do, so yeah. you I thought do you'd have, write another book. Yeah. I do have a, a title for it though. It's oh, called yeah? Finding uh, True North. Oh, cool. Yeah, love it. Very cool. Well, Paul, um, what an inspiring story, and uh, what a great life you've led. Um, through the the good and the bad (laughs) but like you said you wouldn't change a thing you would you know you're grateful for all of what you've been through and it's led to who you are today and i and i love your advice and i love uh you know i love rubbing shoulders with you here at work i learned a lot from you i continue to do so i've learned a lot even just in this this belief cast today with you uh so listeners please uh you know reach out to paul if you have any questions um thank you for following me and uh, please share this with anyone and everyone that you know that uh, needs to be inspired, who wants to hear a story of overcoming 
not just addiction, but finding who they are. Exactly. And, uh, and then also being grateful for, you know, that whole journey, <laughs> that kind of thing. So Paul, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Todd. Uh, I really believe you and I have a similar purpose. I use the term wholehearted a lot, but it's right. really about people living a full, wholehearted life. Yeah. You know, I love that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being thanks, on, Todd. Paul. It's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for getting up early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not okay. too hard. Awesome. Thanks, listeners. And uh, tune in next week for the next Belief Cast. Thank you.